Welcome everyone to this non-gender discriminative presentation. All are welcome. We even have a baby here. Excellent. Good job, baby. <laughs> oh, two babies. Awesome. Awesome. So just a little bit about me. Um, my name is Rachel McLaughlin, and I am a missionary with Surge, um, working in Burundi, which is in East Africa. I've been interested in doing medical missions since I was 16 years old. Um, and my family and I first went to Tenwick Hospital in 2009. Ooh, there we go. And I uh, moved to Burundi in 2013 with our uh, team of doctors, where we serve now uh, at Kabuye Hope Hospital, uh, doing clinical care as an OB, and then also uh, working at the university uh, doing medical education. So I had my daughter Maggie in residency. I had my son Ben, uh, the one with the little Yoda shirt up there, in Kenya while we were working there, and then my son Toby in France. Uh, while we were doing language study. So three kids on three continents. And after feeling like I was called into medical missions uh, for about 14 years, I finally had my first day at the hospital at Tenwick. Um, and I thought it would be this tremendous sense of excitement and accomplishment. Um, and yet, I often felt like a failure almost every day. On the days that I was at the hospital, I felt very guilty for not being home with my daughter and later on our kids. And on the days that I was home with my kids, I felt guilty for not being at the hospital. And no one had told me that I was going to feel like this. Um, so the subtitle to my talk was, Is It Even Possible? Um, and of course it's possible because people do this all the time. Um, there are women, uh, physician, uh, missionary moms, um, and yet, how is this possible exactly? Are, are we just supposed to hold on to the promise that nothing is impossible with God, so I can do this? Or, or is there a way that we can orient our hearts uh, towards success in this situation? And not just success by the world's standards, not like, oh, you have a successful medical practice and your kids look like great kids and your marriage looks good from the outside, but godly success, like how can we run well the race that has been marked out for us and steward well the gifts and abilities that God has given us. So a number of years ago, I was at the GMHC and I heard Susie Snyder speak on this topic and I'm actually super excited as a side note because Susie is here this weekend and she's actually giving a talk later on today about raising missionary kids um, and I'm thinking I'm going to go to her talk because when she gave this talk on mom's missions medicine uh, 10 years ago, it was really inspirational to me. And a lot of the material that I have is actually uh, um, kind of taken from what she had to say. And I kind of worked it and, and also asked the advice of a lot of other uh, missionary doctor moms. But I was thinking if I hear her speak on missionary kids today, maybe in 10 years, I can start giving her missionary kids talk. <laughs> anyway, I would recommend her, her presentation coming up next. Um, but so I've been talking to a lot of other missionary doctor moms about what kind of advice do we need to give uh, people the next generation com coming uh, after us. There aren't tons of us out there, but there is a growing number of women in this category. And, and I think the amazing thing is that everybody wants to talk about this topic and we want to share our stories and our advice and things like, before I started, I wish I had known that. Um, and I think the details are going to be different for everyone depending on uh, where you serve and how many kids you have and some of the intricacies of your life. But the theme um, is really the same for all of us. I felt guilty because I wasn't doing my roles the way I wanted to. I felt isolated and alone, and I felt overwhelmed. Um, and at the, but at the same time, it is God's grace seeing us through. So I want to say, just to get things started, that I think this topic is super important. It's close to our hearts. And wherever we are in this journey of motherhood, medicine, and missions, we are not alone, and we're forming a community here. Um, some people might not yet be moms. Some people might not yet be doctors. But I think there are all th things that we can all learn from this talk. So before I get started on my... Um, Ten things I wish I had known before I started. I, I just want to start by, by framing our context, um, by keeping the main thing the main thing. And this is a verse that's been really helpful to me over the years. Um, it's from Isaiah 43. So I want to read it for you guys. 
But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you and nations in exchange for your life. So these verses remind us of a few things. Number one, we are created. All of us are created and formed by God. Number two, we are redeemed by God out of our sin and summoned by him into work with him. We will have hard times. This is not an if you pass through the waters, if you go through the fires, but we will go through the fire. We will pass through the rivers, but God will be with us. And he promises that though the trials may seem overwhelming, we will not be overwhelmed by these trials. And finally, he loves us and he is with us. So in that context, I want to share 10 things with you guys that I've gleaned over the past uh, 12 years or so that I've been a missionary doctor mom. They're not the only 10 things that are important to know, but I think that in my opinion, there, there are 10 things that I wish I had thought about before I started down this path, and maybe also 10 of the same things that I have to remind myself of almost every day. So number one is set your priorities. So I think if, if we can all just take just a second to think in our heads, like what are my priorities in life? Um, I think many of us would answer, well, first of all, God is my number one priority, then my family, like my kids, my spouse, and then finally my work. And so laying it out there like that is easy, but putting this priorities uh, into place is actually one of the most challenging things that we do as missionary doctor moms. Um, so before I even arrived in Kenya in 2009, uh, one of the other doctor moms contacted me and gave me the advice that if I was going to be part-time, I needed to mean it and I needed to stick to my plan um, because it's a lot harder to cut back your time at the hospital um, than to increase your time at work. So increasing time at the hospital is a slippery slope. And if you think you're going to start full time and then cut back once you know you have your feet under you, um, that's going to cause problems because there is always more need at the hospital. But your kids only have one mom. So this was uh, at Tenwick, my daughter Maggie, when she was about a year old, one of the first few days that I started at the hospital. You could see she liked wearing my, my scrub caps and she would greet my husband and I as we came home from work at the end of the day. Um, so some of the other uh, doctor moms said this is the advice that they wanted to share. You must take time away even if people die. People will die. Go on safari anyway. Your children need to see that they are important enough to be worth your attention. Another mom said, put your children first and always make family decisions with their well-being in mind. Sometimes a patient is bleeding out and they'll die if you don't run to the OR. Then you have to leave your kids at a run. But many times you can start your elective surgery or see your 500th patient for the day after you spend lunch break with your family. So this is often easier said than done, again. Uh, but one, one mom shared this story with me. One night my, my daughter was yelling at me from the top of the stairs to put her to bed, and I got called to a code. I was exhausted, but called back, do you want me to put you to bed, or do you want the baby to die? Definitely never a fair question to, a to ask an eight-year-old, and not my finest moment, but I think it encapsulates the struggle. I think I wish I had learned to put my phone down, day one, and I wished I had realized sooner that when my kids lose their minds irrationally, it is because I have made them my third or fourth priority behind the hospital. So what do we do when there are always more needs at the hospital? There will always be more pulling on you uh, and asking for your attention and your time. We need to take time away from the hospital, uh, schedule things so that our kids know what to expect. For example, yes, mom goes to the hospital every morning, but she's always home after lunch or she's always home on Fridays. Um, one thing that has been important for our family is to carve out a Sabbath. Um, for us, it was on Sundays, but it could be any day of the week and to guard it jealously from work creeping in. 
the, the quality of time that we keep with our children can be more important than the quantity, as long as there is a little quantity. Um, my kids, for example, love the traditions that we've created uh, for anything from like Saturday morning pancakes to uh, Sunday morning walks as a family, Easter egg dyeing and Christmas tree decorating, things like that um, really help them. Um, I, I, think, I think it really helps them adjust to our, our new lives and, and recognize that we are prioritizing them in these traditions. It also helps to try and involve your kids in your sense of calling and ministry. So it doesn't necessarily mean bringing them to work. As an OB, I'm not really ready for my kids to come up and watch me work, and I don't think they would necessarily be terribly uh, uh, interested. My daughter in particular seems a bit squeamish. Uh, but, but helping the kids to understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. So one mom said uh, about her son, as he's grown up, he asked me in the morning if I'm going to see the babies. She's a pediatrician. He could always accept me leaving if he knew that I was helping babies like him. So maybe being involved uh, is sharing stories of my day and um, having my kids pray for different patients. Or maybe it's coming up to the hospitals on holidays and singing songs or passing out small gifts. Um, whatever it is, we can help the kids see that they have God has called them to the missions field as well. Um, he's made them part of our family. He hasn't just called me. He's called his whole family. And my kids really do see Burundi as their home now. This is where they belong. They feel like they are Burundi kids. Um, this is actually a picture of one of our teammates' kids at the age, I think she was only four or five years old in that picture, and she would go up and hold some of the little babies uh, in the pediatrics ward. So, and finally, on a side note, remember that prioritizing family also involves prioritizing your spouse. Um, so making sure you find time to get away, just the two of you, whether that means even just a walk or a date night from time to time. It's easy to prioritize kids' needs over your spouse's needs, but that's not going to be uh, healthy in the long term. Number two, you can't give 100% of yourself to 100% of your roles 100% of the time. So give yourself grace. So think about the roles that you play every day. So, you know, there are some big ones that come to mind. (laughs) Uh, Wife, doctor, mom, missionary. But then there can be some other roles too. Um, Support update writer, cook, laundry lady, cleaner, teammate, friend, daughter. Uh, The list goes on and on. And if I say to you, look, you can't give 100% of yourself to your, your role as a doctor, and at the very same time be a 100% mom, uh, you're, you will answer, well, of course I can't be. But sometimes we live and, live and act as though it should be the case. Like we should be able to give all of ourselves to everything all the time. Um, and that leads to feelings of, of guilt and inadequacy. So when you feel like in the moment you're not giving enough of yourself to that particular role at the time, it's been helpful for me to stop and take a deep breath and to remember that God will give us what we need when we need it to accomplish the tasks that he's placed before us. So if God has called me to be a doctor and a mom and a missionary at the same time, he has not called me to an impossible task. If he's given me children, then I am the best mom for my kids If he's called me to medicine, he will help me to treat my patients in a manner that he is prepared. Um, And he gives what I need. Um, Sometimes what I need most of all is to be able to give myself grace instead of guilt uh, for not being able to be all things to all people all the time. So when I'm in the hospital and I'm up to my elbows in blood because I'm trying to save a mother's life, it's okay if I'm not at home helping my kids with homework at that moment. If I'm on a field trip with my kids, it is okay that someone else is rounding on the patients up at maternity. Um, All things are possible with God, but that rarely involves being 100% mom and 100% doctor at the same time. Sometimes you sort of are, because in this case I was home with my son one day watching him and got called up to do an emergency ultrasound, and so he just came along with me for the ride. Um, So sometimes you you are asked to do multiple roles at once, but most of the time it's a matter of giving yourself grace for being okay with the role that you're in currently, knowing that there will be time for the other roles later on. Just a quick pause here, uh, not to... 
spend a lot of time thinking about this, but just reflecting for, you know, 15 seconds and maybe later uh, spending some more time uh, reflecting on this more deeply. What are some roles that God has called me to in my own life? How do I feel like he has already equipped me? And in what ways do my callings seem complementary versus impossible to reconcile? If I truly believe that God will provide what I need, how does that change my perspective when difficulties come into my life? Okay, number three. There are seasons of life. Um, and I know this is a, a common phrase, and um, it's been really helpful for me to, to think through uh, life in terms of seasons. So my daughter Maggie, uh, my oldest, she was a great sleeper. She was sleeping uh, all the way through the night by the time she was two months old. And I was pretty convinced that's because I was an awesome mom and I did everything right. Um, but God saw fit to cure me of my pride issues uh, when my boys came along, neither of which who slept through the night until they were more than a year old. Um, so our youngest son, we were living in Burundi at the time. He was getting up three or four times a night and we were so tired and the power was always out at night. And so one night he started crying and it was my husband's turn to get up um, with him. And he was so tired, he got up and instead of walking out the door, he walked into the closet and got stuck in the closet. He couldn't figure out how to get out. And so I got up and was with my son. And I just look back on those days, like, how did we even function? We were so exhausted. Um, but now my kids are 12, 10, and 8, and usually I need to wake them up to start uh, school on time. So I tell this story for two reasons, and one is to say, take heart, babies all sleep through the night eventually. Right, buddy? Yeah. <laughs> there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, but then there's also, you know, to emphasize the point that there are these seasons of life that we go to. We have friends that like to talk about life in terms of like a football game. So quarter one, you are growing up yourself. You make your own decisions. Life is sort of all about you and the career that you're working on. And then you have kids, and that's like quarter two. Quarter three is sort of like you're an empty nester now, and you still have, you know, the golden years of your career in front of you, and your kids are out of the house. And then quarter four is you know, kind of the end, end of your life, the last few years. And so every quarter is different, and they all have their own joys and challenges and purposes. But these quarters can be really frustrating, especially the quarter with little kids, if you feel like they are never going to end. So Eric and I love to travel to a lot of different countries. Um, we, did, we traveled extensively before we had kids. Um, and so we were those parents that were like, kids are not going to change our life. We're going to continue to travel, and they're just going to come along with us. So we tried that for a while, and we were actually pretty miserable <laughs> because <laughs> it's exhausting to travel with kids. And we would wait for, like, hours in restaurants for food because the kids had to eat more often, and they constantly had to be taking naps. And so you can see some of these pictures here of the successful vacation we had in Italy that one year. You know, crabby kids who were falling asleep, kids who didn't want to go into museums, we chased a lot of pigeons in those years and you know we would see all the monuments but the kids would just lay down in front of the monuments <laughs> and then uh, eventually we would pack it up and take it all home so as the kids have gotten older we've gotten a little more successful with our vacations though and just a few years ago we were in uh, in France and we got to go see the Bayou Tapestry and the kids were super excited about it we've been able to take them to some fun restaurants places we wouldn't have dared to go when they were two and three years old but it was a season of life. The kids are older, and um, it's been a lot of fun. And now we're in a new season um, that has its joys, like the vacations that we get to take and the conversations we have our, with our kids. But there are challenges in this new season that don't involve sleep, but do involve attitudes of teenagers or preteens, uh, the, the weight of imparting life lessons, and being faced with the reality of boarding school coming up in the next year and a half. So there, each season has great things about it and challenging things about it. And I think that as we look backwards, we're going to be able to see, gosh, that actually was a pretty good season after all. Um, but I think we can enjoy it more knowing that it's not going to last forever. I mean, I did, I, I did my training in OBGYN and I spent 80 hours a week at the hospital for four years. Um, and that was fine for that season. I, I don't want to be in that season right now because I wouldn't have time for my family. But at the time, it was fine. I work three hours a week or three days a week right now. 
Um, as the kids get older, I can envision working four days a week, maybe even five. Uh, but for right now, this season, three days enough is enough for me. And I think it's important to remember that things can change even even now. I gave this talk three years ago, and I feel like our family is in a different season now than we were three years ago. So the balance that we're being called to, to balance between our roles right now, this week, this year, is not the way that things are always going to be. And I think that transitions well into the next point, which is part-time is not a crime. So... um, I specifically asked my fellow missionary doctor moms how they divide up their time between home and work because I think it's a practical question that a lot of people ask. So how do you know? How do I balance needs with my family and the needs all around me? I have friends who work in U.S. medicine who work full-time, 80% time, part-time, one day a week. They've stopped medicine altogether while their kids are young. There's a lot of different ways that you can make this work. And it goes, the same it can be said for missionary doctor moms. I think the biggest difference in what we do uh, as missionaries is that we have different choices than what face U.S. doctors. So I live in a country that has um, right now about 1,000 doctors for 10 10 to 11 million people. There are less than 20 trained obstetricians in the country. For uh, a place whose birth rate uh, hovers between six and seven kids per woman, and so obstetrical services are in high demand, uh, I have been called to this country, approved by a missions agency, I'm supported financially by a large group of churches, friends, and other supporters, and I feel accountable to be a good steward of all of these people that have invested me and sent me. Working less does not mean getting paid less, well, somebody else does the work. It means no one does the work. And there is no other OB to cover my work on the days that I'm not in the hospital. And so that produces a large amount of guilt for me. But I say all this, and then in complete honesty, I also want to say that working part-time is not a crime. Because what that really means is that you are trying to balance your time well between your work and your family. So working 30 hours a week at the hospital means taking 30 hours away from your busy schedule at home as well, raising your children, sometimes teaching them, preparing meals, supporting your spouse, keeping a household running, interfacing with teammates and supporters, and the national community. There's always going to be more medical work to be done. I've said that before in the talk. I'm going to continue to say it. And it's okay if you're not always the one doing the work. We are faithful to God's calling, and we trust him to do the work. And remembering that actually the work is God's work, and it's not necessarily mine. So I need to ask myself, in this season, what can I provide to the hospital while keeping my priorities in order? And the answer might be 10 hours a week. That's okay. It could be 30 hours a week. It doesn't have to be all day, every day. So we can't base our availability and our capacity on the needs before us. Um, That might be another thing that sounds obvious, but becomes one of the biggest challenges we face in ministry because there are always more souls to save. There are always more patients to see in clinic. There are always more patients actually actively dying, and there will never be enough doctors for the task before us. So I need to remember every day that the ultimate responsibility is God's responsibility. I can't be up at the hospital every night helping with every sick woman um, because that's not a healthy choice for my family. So I need to entrust these women into the hands of my staff, the Burundian doctors that I've helped train, and God. I will go up for emergencies if I'm called, but I think it's important to always try and set your, your boundaries. I always try to be home for dinner, for example, or bedtime uh, so to put my kids to bed around 8 o'clock. Um, and I mentioned this before, and I'll say it again too. Right from the very beginning, my husband and I have tried to like set a Sabbath and to keep that, setting up a system where we're not expected to perform clinical duties one day or commit to other work activities like having meetings or answering emails or anything like that. Because I think it is a really good reminder that it is God who accomplishes the work and God who has the responsibility. So that also leads into the point of uh, you need a supportive spouse if you're going to to try and balance all of these roles. So... um, how many of you guys have seen The Crown? Has anyone watched this show? Yeah, Eric and I are a little late to the game because we don't really have great internet in Burundi, so we can't stream Netflix. But we came back to the U.S. this summer, and we, we've only watched like the first half of the first season. Um, but the part that I was just totally fascinated with was the interaction between Prince Philip 
and Queen Elizabeth. So for those of you guys who haven't watched the show, uh, it, it follows the story of Elizabeth as she becomes queen and, and the, the monarchy over, over decades. And so in the beginning, she gets married to, to Prince Philip, and they, I wouldn't say they're a normal couple, but they have more traditional roles. Uh, she spends more time with her kids. He has a career in the military. Um, she promises to love and obey him and, and during their wedding vows. And then all of a sudden, her father dies and she becomes the queen. And Philip is forced to bow, like quite literally, <laughs> to his wife and her new role as monarch in England. And this creates a lot of tension in their marriage because there was this kind of dynamic. And now Elizabeth's job has kind of catapulted her into this new like level. Um, and Philip isn't quite sure what to do with that. He's not exactly an example of a supportive spouse. <laughs> but um, I would say that it's really important to all of us, if we want to balance these roles, if we want to be doctors and moms and missionaries, it's really important uh, to have a partner with you in every sense of the word um, who is on board with your roles as well, whether or not he is medical. Now, statistically speaking, a lot of female doctors are also married to doctors or engineers, so it's quite possible that you will both be trying to figure out a way to um, adjust your time at the hospital. But almost always, one of you will need to be at home with your kids. So caring for them if they're really young, even homeschooling in a lot of cases. And as a couple, you can't actually have two full-time jobs and kids on the missions field because that's the work for three people. Um, there's not always a school that you can put your kids in. In fact, that's kind of the exception rather than the rule on a lot of missions fields. Maybe you can find a great nanny to watch your kids for you. Maybe you can bring over a teacher from America, but someone does have to be providing for the needs of your kids. So as women, I would say we usually feel like, or we do, bear the responsibilities for a lot of things such as being the default child caregiver, preparing meals, cleaning, packing, uh, clothes and lunches, educating the children, things like that. Um, that's not to say that's a negative thing. That's not to say it with any judgment. It's just something that I've noticed in my own life and also in the lives of a lot of working women around me. Uh, so, for example, if we choose to work, it's our responsibility to figure out who is going to perform our domestic duties while we were gone. Uh, when a husband goes to work, usually that's, that's what he does. When a wife goes to work, uh, she has to make choices and figure out how to juggle different roles. Um, and there's a lot less resources overseas to keep your family afloat. There's not like, I'll pick up a pizza on my way home from work, and there's no daycare, and there's no summer camps and things like that. Uh, no grandparents popping in all the time. So as a couple, you need to sit down and figure out how you're going to make this work, the life that God has called you to. How is it going to work for your family? It doesn't have to work for everyone's family, but it does have to work for your family. So maybe that means that one of you guys is going to stay home full-time for the time being. Maybe you're going to divide up the load, so you're each working part-time. Maybe you're going to get a full-time nanny uh, and switch off days to be able to be home at the end of the day. Maybe one person does all the cooking and the other one does the bedtimes or whatever you do. But a supportive spouse means that your husband doesn't just assume that you'll figure it out while he does what he's going to do. Um, when we arrived in Burundi in 2013, my plan was to get a nanny for my three kids on the days that I was at the hospital. And I would work three days a week and Eric would work five days a week. This worked out really well for our family in Kenya. I loved Rose, our Kenyan nanny. She was great. Um, and so we asked around in Burundi, and um, there was a very nice young woman named Anita who was recommended to us. Um, I loved her a lot. I wanted to provide her for a living. She's a single mom with a daughter of her own to support. But basically from the first day on, it was sort of a disaster. We didn't share a common language. I spoke English and French, and she only spoke Kirundi, the tribal languages. Uh, the tribal language, the kids were four, two, and five months. They also didn't have any common languages with her, so they had a hard time communicating. The Burundian system of rearing child, children and watching children is completely different than our own. In fact, starting from about two years old, kids are watched by their older siblings and don't really have a lot of adult supervision. Um, so I would come home at the end of the day and really have no idea how things had gone. Um, 
my daughter colored all over her dollhouse with a permanent marker. My son had a, I came home and his clothes were wet and he had had a potty accident and no one had changed him. Um, And then I think the final straw was when he was outside one day crawling on a solar shower, which was basically a panel of glass over some pipes and and the glass shattered. And he was fine. Uh, By the grace of God, there was not a scratch on him. But that was the moment that I knew that my children weren't, weren't safe enough for me to go up at the hospital. I couldn't work knowing that my kids were basically kind of roaming around um, by themselves. Um, and so I broke down to Eric and I said, I, I can't, can't do this. I can't work at the hospital if the, the kids are in this situation. And so instead of telling me that it was all going to be fine and I should stop worrying or I could stop working if I wanted to, he rearranged his schedule. So he was picking up the slack. So he decreased his work days. Uh, and so one of us was always home with the kids. Uh, we found a situation where um, our nanny, Anita, continued to watch our youngest son. She would put him on her back and walk around, and she could check in with some of the other moms on the compound if she needed help, and it worked really great. Uh, but Ben and Maggie, our older two children, were always watched by one of us or another mom on the compound, and that was a situation that worked well for us. Um, some of the other missionary moms also spoke to the situation about um, partnering with their spouses. Uh, one said, uh, and she comes from a family where she was the doctor and her spouse was um, not a physician. One parent needs to be available for the children. Nannies didn't work for us, although we did have a national nanny at the end of our last term to help my son. While my husband worked from home and I was at the hospital, this was fine because my husband was there too. Kids are vulnerable in a different way on the field. Parents need to be accessible. And this can be a different parent on different days of the week, but it is something to consider and plan for. Uh, One mom said, I think we both felt overstretched and frustrated with each other many times when it comes to medicine and team leading and parenting. Hold on through the tough times and it will get better. I think our marriage is stronger because we share work as well as family life. We understand what the other is talking about. And then finally, one woman said, the things that are hard on our marriage end up being good for our marriage once we get real about it. When we can be honest about what we're struggling with, we can love each other better. So we need a supportive spouse who believes in what we're doing and who can share in the responsibilities. But sometimes you're both stretched and overwhelmed. Or ironically, I do feel like I get called up to the hospital for emergencies with greater frequency when my husband Eric is out of town, (laughs) ironically. So that leads to the next point of it's okay to ask for help. And in fact, this is kind of funny because I just opened my phone like before the presentation to check on the weather because my kids are going to the zoo with my mom today. And uh, the story pops up. I don't usually check People magazine, but Tori Spelling says with her five children, you need to ask for help. It takes a village to raise her children. And so I was thinking, that's exactly what I was going to say. So Tori Spelling and I are on the same page. <laughs> so um, I'm going to say it's okay to ask for help and then say I hate to ask for help. And I think part of it is is medical training and the culture of being self-sufficient, being able to do things on your own and asking for help is a sign of weakness. But if we're going to make the missionary doctor mom thing work, We do need help. I have used the phrase, it takes a village to raise my children before. So we need help from our spouses. We need help from our communities and our teammates and our friends. We need help from our national partners, and we need help from our missions agencies. So it took me a long time to admit this, and I really hated asking the other moms on our team to watch my kids, even for an hour or two. They were all stay-at-home moms uh, who had really important things to be doing. Obviously, I did not want to imply that they had nothing else to be doing. But I felt like if I asked them to watch my kids, I was asking them for a favor that I felt like I couldn't repay. And that didn't seem fair to me. So I didn't realize until a few years ago that by refusing to ask for help, it was sort of a sign of my hardened heart, hardened heart refusing to accept grace and help from God as well. Like the idea that if I refuse to accept God's gift of grace, like I can, um, I can earn love and salvation on my own. It's like saying to God, yes, I know that Christ died for my sins on the cross and I'm forgiven, but I think you'll love me a little bit better um, and I'll need Christ's work a little less if I work a little harder and I don't need to ask for people, people for help. And so I think it's silly to say it out loud. Like when I say it, it's like, well, that sounds dumb. Um, But I think a lot of us do feel that in our hearts. 
Um, being able to accept help from others without being able to repay them has opened my eyes to a beautiful example of God's grace to me. Um, I love this quote from Tim Keller. It's in his Meaning of Marriage book. And he says this about being served. I wanted to serve, yes, because that made me feel in control. Then I would always have the high moral ground. But that kind of service isn't service at all, only manipulation. By not giving my wife an opportunity to serve me, I have failed to serve her. And the reason underneath it all was my pride. So sometimes when we ask for help, that comes in the form of allowing a teammate or a friend or a spouse to serve us and swallowing our pride to ask for a favor. Uh, And sometimes that comes in the form of more creative solutions, like a family member coming out for a long visit, having an intern come from the U.S. to watch our kids, uh, even a teacher from the U.S. Uh, One time I saw a group of two dual doctor families, so four people, they were all four doctors, and they were each, like, two were married to each other, and the other two were married to each other. And one of them would stay home with all the kids while the other three were up at the hospital for a short-term strip. So I was like, well, that was a creative solution. Um, Sometimes help comes from a national partner, like a nanny. Uh, A lot of people overseas, they love their nannies. Their nannies become part of their families, and I think it's a really great way for our kids to be exposed in a different way to another language and culture and helping our kids integrate into a different world. Um, But So sometimes it works really well, and sometimes it doesn't. So it doesn't work for everyone, and we shouldn't feel bad or guilty or like, oh, we have to, like, press on, even though I know it's a bad situation for my kids. Um, And I have found that it does seem to work better when your kids have a nanny, if there's a parent or a teammate close by in case an issue or or an emergency arises. These are our our sweet nannies here. That was Rose on the left uh, with baby Maggie when we were at Tenwick, and then Anita on the right holding Toby when he was a baby, uh, and and her, her friend who decided she wanted to also carry a little white baby on her back there. So... Um, Number seven, comparison kills community. So I mentioned that in the beginning I was the only uh, person on our team that worked outside the home. All the other uh, wives were stay-at-home moms. Um, And that was hard for me. Instead of feeling like I uh, had a foot in both worlds, I sort of felt like I had a foot in neither world. Um, And so I think it's important to remember that we all have different lives and different callings and we can't really, we, we, we shouldn't, we can't compare ourselves to each other. It's a tool of the enemy to discourage us and to make us feel like our ministries are less effective. So the mom who's chosen to shelve her career for a few years while she's raising her children feels guilty when she sees a colleague working full-time despite having kids. The flip side of this is the same mom who tries to justify herself by internally criticizing the working mom, like she's not there for her kids and I am. What a bad decision. I've seen missionary doctor moms uh, make the work and home balance work in so many different ways, and I think it's critical that we support each other's decisions instead of criticizing each other to make ourselves feel better. Um, Of course, sometimes my biggest problem is not so much that I criticize other people, but I also criticize myself by the things that I feel like I ought to be doing. I have two neighbors who I love dearly. One is a pediatrician. She's developed an incredible NICU, which has grown from a couple of babies in cardboard boxes at the hospital uh, to a system of over 30 incubators, billy lights, feedings, oxygen in three rooms. She manages over 100 kids in the hospital and has started a sickle cell clinic that has blessed dozens of families. And she's amazing. And yet she's... She uh, isn't married. She works full-time, and I compare myself to her clinically and the things she's been able to do, and I feel like I should be able to do more at the hospital. My other neighbor is a wonderful lady who I also love dearly who has three amazing girls and loves nothing more than staying home with them all the time, and she teaches three classes at the Missionary Kids School and makes meals for all the visitors that come through, and I look at her and feel like I should be doing more uh, with my spending time with my kids and teaching classes at the school. Um, But I'm not either one of them. God has called me and my family to something different than these other teammates. And it's not a better call. It's not a worse call, but it is a different call. Uh, We are all members of the body of Christ, and only together can we be the church. 
So my comparison leads to guilt and shame and discouragement. And instead of comparison, what we need to do is practice contentment every day. Um, This is just a a shot of our team uh, when we started out in Kenya and our team today. It's grown quite a bit. Um, A few months ago, I saw a new take on this phrase. So instead of comparison kills community, the second part of it is celebration kindles community. And I really like that point because I think if we can spend time celebrating what God is doing in other people's lives... um, That takes the focus off me, like what I'm doing and how I'm succeeding or failing. So we can support each other and cheer for each other. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. In a lot of ways, celebrating someone else means we don't have the time any longer to focus on comparing ourselves. And it turns my eyes away from me and on to other people. Like Tim Keller also talks about the freedom of self-forgetfulness. It's not that I'm humble by thinking I am less is that I think of myself less than I think of other people. And so I think celebrating others does help to foster that sense of community. Um, Changing gears a little bit, um, I want to say what God has helped you to attain, he will help you to maintain. I think um, sometimes as missionaries, just in general, and also missionary moms, missionary doctor moms, we... um, we have some, of, some fears when we leave the U.S., and one of these doubts is a sense, sometimes a very real sense, of God opening a door for us to walk through to this other country and the door closing very firmly behind us. In other words, once you've started down this path, you will never be able to go back. You will never be able to return to the U.S. and have that life again. So this is like a one-way street, so be very careful if you choose to start walking down it. I spent 26 years of my life in formal education, from preschool to the end of my OBGYN residency, and school came very easily to me, at least in the beginning. Um, But by the time I reached medical school most days, I realized I was not sufficient for the task before me, especially when it came to exam days. (laughs) So I have to conclude that it was God who sustained me and gave me the knowledge and wisdom that I needed to become competent, uh, to obtain and process information, to learn skills. And it is God, right now, who is with me, giving me the wisdom and the competence I need on a daily basis to do all the things he's called me to, including how to raise my children. But somehow, when it comes to the idea of returning to U.S. medicine or to not practicing medicine for a season because of other callings in my life, I forget that fact, and it seems downright impossible that I would return to practice medicine one day. I don't have any plans to do so, but it can certainly happen. Um, I, I, I have fears that once I step out of American medicine, like things will change too quickly for me. I won't be able to keep up. I won't be able to regain these skills that I've, I've lost, essentially, by going overseas and developing a new set of schools or skills. Sorry. I think it's important to remember that it was God that helped us to attain these skills that we needed in the first place. And is it impossible that he will help me to maintain these skills or even to re-attain these skills if needed. When my daughter was uh, born, I had a few weeks of residency left, and then I had six months off before we moved to Kenya to start missionary work. I was able to take almost a year off after my son was born in Kenya because we were support raising on our way to Burundi. And then finally, our third son was born while we were in language school, and I wasn't practicing medicine there for about the next six or seven months as well. Um, that was a long time to be without, uh, without medicine, and it's not to say that medicine was not a part of my life during those years. I was studying for my oral boards. Uh, I was maintaining my license, things like that. Uh, and it was scary to go back after doing my first C-section in, in two years uh, to... I was pretty nervous uh, as I picked up the scalpel that time. Um, Like, do I still remember how to do this? Uh, But my medical skills were not lost. God helped me to maintain that thing that he had already helped me to attain. Um, So I think it's important to ask myself, what am I being called to right, right now? For me, it is to serve in Burundi. If God one day calls me back to the U.S., will he not also equip me to do that task? When the time comes, 
I mean, we need to pair that with the idea that, like, we need to have wisdom in maintaining our skill sets. Um, I, we continue to get our uh, medical education every year to keep our U.S. licenses up to date. We want to be the best doctors we can be to provide excellent care to our patients. We don't just want to, like, let everything go and figure, oh, you know, we'll, we'll be okay. We'll just keep moving forward. We, so we want to provide excellent medical care in Jesus' name. Um, but we don't have to be afraid that there's a sense that we can never go back. Because certainly if God calls us back, he will allow us to go back um, and to glorify him in that. All right, almost done here. We've got a couple more points. You're not, okay, so point number nine is you're not the wife or mother or doctor that you're actually supposed to be, but Jesus is. And this is a really, um, this has been a really influential story for me. Um, So after our second child was born in Kenya, uh, we were preparing to transition back to the U.S. so we could raise our funds, go to language school, and arrive in Burundi. And as part of our preparation for joining a new missions agency, we had to take a course called Sonship. Um, It involved listening to talks and then meeting with a mentor. And so my husband and I were sitting on the couch one night trying to connect over Skype, and there was rain on the tin roof, and we could hardly hear, and the Internet kept cutting in and out. And my son was three months old and he wasn't sleeping and I had just started back at the hospital and I was so tired. And so in an attempt with our mentor to be honest, I said to him, I just feel like some days that I'm not the mom I'm supposed to be and I'm not the doctor I'm supposed to be and I'm not the wife I'm supposed to be. And then I stopped. So I was waiting for the response that I knew he'd give, which was, oh, sure you are. You're doing fine. You're actually doing better than most people. Don't be so hard on yourself. And then I would go back. I would feel a little bit better until I went back to feeling like a failure a few days later. Uh, But he didn't say that, actually. He opened his mouth and he said, you're right. You're not the mother you're supposed to be. And you're not the doctor you're supposed to be. And my heart stopped because I thought, this is it. Like he's confirming all of my worst fears. He's exposing me for who I really am. But of course he continued and he said, but Jesus is, he is everything you're supposed to be and you can find your righteousness in him. So no one had ever really expressed anything like that to me before. If they had, I hadn't really heard it. Um, Try as I might and try as you might, we were never going to be perfect. We are never going to do everything correctly and balance everything or be even close to perfect. But we don't have to be because Jesus is the one that lived the perfect life in our place. And so when God looks at us, not only does he see us as sinless and whole, but he sees all of the good works that Jesus has ever done on our behalf. And I can't think of better news than that. I screw up and fail at this wife-mother-doctor-missionary combo all the time. And there's no such thing, uh, even after listening to my talk, of being able to be the perfect medical missionary mom. Uh, But Jesus still looks at us and holds out his arms and says, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be my daughter and rest in my arms. So I want, again, we don't really have time to pause for a long time, but if you just want to maybe jot down this question and spend some time thinking about it later, what is an area of your life where you feel like you aren't enough? How do you think that we can hold that tension for ourselves and others that we aren't enough, but that Jesus loves us in spite of that? How can we acknowledge to ourselves and others that we will never be enough? And if you can acknowledge that you aren't enough, how could that change your relationship with God and others? Some water here in the one. So finally, point number 10. We are not called to have all the answers. So the disclaimer that I should have started with is that I'm not going to give you the right answers or the magic formula during my talk to make our lives work well. Um, I myself came to these GMHC conferences many times looking for the perfect solution, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. (laughs) Um, I can't, no. I still haven't found it, and I certainly can't provide it for you. So I think mentorship is great, finding an older woman to be able to um, help mentor you through this journey. Finding a younger woman to mentor in this journey can be super helpful. We need to help each other and encourage one another. Um, But I think this might be the most important part. We're not called to have all of the answers because, like, our struggles lead us to Jesus. So I love rules and protocols, and if there was a a printout about what to do, 
to lead the the best Christian life and you know to to get your children to always behave and things like that, I would follow it to the letter. But it's exactly that idea that cuts Jesus out of the picture, uh, because if I don't if I have all the answers, I don't have to turn to him to help me. I feel like I'm in control, which is an illusion always. Um, God is in control. And a lack of the right answers is God's grace to me in a lot of ways uh, to help me develop my relationship with him. I was talking to an older missionary a few years ago about some struggles I was having uh, with the community around me. I was coming to the realization that we are infinitely wealthier than the community around us in the rural countryside of the world's poorest country. And I, I didn't know how to be generous with what I had. Um, and I concluded by saying, I wish I knew what the right thing to do was, and I would just do it. And she said to me, maybe it's the not knowing that leads you to come to the Father to continue to ask him, and if you knew the answer, you wouldn't need to ask God. And that really resonated with me. So some tension in our lives is good and necessary, because in the end, the most important thing is that we love Jesus and seek him with our whole hearts. Um, I'm going to skip over this last part and just say because we're running out of time and I want to leave some time for questions Um, so let me just finish up by returning to Isaiah 43 how we started so once again we are formed and we are loved we are redeemed and called by a God who promises to always be with us even when we don't set our priorities how they should be even when we don't spend as much time with our kids as they need Um, even when we make a choice not to return to the hospital to save one more life or when we care more about rules than relationships, he still loves us. And if we continue along Isaiah 43 to verse 7, Isaiah continues to write this. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So God created us. He will be glorified in our lives and in my family's lives in his timing, not ours, he will use these trials and these difficulties to draw us to himself. And uh, I think one of the most important things is not what we can do for him in our overseas careers, but it's the work that he's doing in our own hearts. So thanks for coming today. It was my privilege to talk to you guys about this. Um, I want to tell you finally, yes, being a medical uh, missionary mom is possible. Not because we have figured it out or have all the right answers, but because God has called us and he is faithful. So I want to just share with you guys a couple of resources that I found to be really helpful to continue the conversation. Um, Velvet Ashes is a community of women serving overseas. They have a lot of different um, materials for um, like personal retreats, community retreats, things like that. A Life Overseas is a fantastic blog by a number of different writers who write the whole gamut of you know, funny stuff, tragic stuff, uh, what it means to live overseas. Um, also, one of my mentors uh, in this process, her name is Dr. Jennifer Myrie. That's her blog, paradoxuganda.blogspot.com. She writes very poignantly about a lot of these roles. And then finally, um, I'm working now with uh, CMDA to put out a women missionary doctor newsletter. So if you're interested in that, let me know. Uh, Our email is up there in our blog. Um, And then finally, uh, we are here with Surge, uh, our missions agency, fantastic agency. Uh, For more information, they're at booth 1002, or Michelle's in the back and she can talk to you. So thanks, you guys. We do have a few minutes for questions if anyone has anything they want to ask. Or I'm happy to be up here afterwards for a little bit, too. Yeah, go ahead. As an older missionary, I just would have really confirmed the concept of seasons. Mm -hmm. It changes all the time, but there's always a future season. Right. And we don't have to do it all. We don't have to do it all right now. Yeah, yeah, that's a good reminder. There's always a future season. We can always do more in the next season. <laughs> Enjoying the season that we're in for what it is, knowing that there will be another one coming. Yeah. Yes? Um, what's been your favorite part about raising kids in another country? 
So my favorite part about raising kids in another country, there are a couple things. On, on a selfish level, I think it's that I get to spend a lot more time with my kids than if I was a practicing physician in the U.S. Um, even on the days that I'm working, I'm not always home for lunch, but I'm almost always home for dinner. Um, we get to, I get to see them on the weekends, things like that, and be a part of their school and things like that. Um, and a, on a different level, I love the fact that we can raise our kids overseas because of the different worldview that they get. Uh, they get to see the world as a much bigger place than life in America, and there are people who have a lot of different life circumstances that they do, most of which are quite a bit more challenging than their own life experiences. And so I, I hope as they continue to grow older, they get a different sense of like what they have been blessed with, what they are stewards of, what they have to offer, and also what it's like to yeah live in a different culture and make friends with different cult- pe- kids of di- a diff- different culture, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, so juggling extended family as well. And that's a tricky one. It's a tricky line to walk when you have, you're taking, you know, their grandchildren away from them. <laughs> that's, been, that's been a source of a lot of conflict and growth for our family. Um, and I think it's important to recognize, which I didn't have this mentality at the beginning, like I have chosen to go overseas and there are sacrifices associated that with that that I was aware of and I accepted. But our families did not choose to make these sacrifices, right? They are sacrificing based on my decisions, not based on their own decisions. And so I think trying to remember that and be kind (laughs) to our family members when they're frustrated with us to have grace for them. Um, Inviting them in uh, to our world has been really important for us. So um, my mom, Eric's parents, when they were able to come overseas and see where we were living and the kind of environment that we were in, that our kids were thriving, that they were doing well, that really put their hearts at peace and um, helped them to just be able to visualize what we're doing and why we're doing it. That was really important. Also setting expectations on the front end. So um, when we went to Kenya, it was kind of on the cusp of Internet. Really, I mean, there was Internet, but it was just sort of starting to arrive uh, in most parts of Africa. And so it was like, oh, yeah, we'll just, you know, video call you whenever. Um, that was not a good idea because the Internet was usually so bad we couldn't video call. And then we'd spend hours, like, trying to, can you hear me now? Can you hear me? Are we connecting? I can't see you. Your picture is frozen. And so it was frustrating on both sides. And so I think... Setting expectations of like now, every Saturday afternoon from 2 to 3, we'll try and call you. And like that's our time that we're setting aside for you. We'll try and get the kids on the video or at least we'll try to get them to hear your voices. But, you know, it's not just like a whenever sort of a thing. Um, it's, it's helpful for us and it helps them to know that like this is their slot to like we're prioritizing them. So that's been helpful for us. Yeah. Yeah, so how often family members were able to come? Our family has been trying, yeah, our family has been trying to keep a schedule about every three years. We'll come back to the States for six months. For us, that was a better choice because then our families could see our kids more often uh, than like the five year, like the four years away, one year home kind of a plan. So everyone's going to make different choices that works for them. But for us, that was a good balance. And then our parents have been able to come out usually once every term, that three year period. Our parents will come out once, but our siblings haven't been able to come out. You know, they have little kids, it's expensive, you know, time off work, things like that. And so I know they've really wished they could come out and it hasn't been possible. Um, and so that's another one of the reasons why we come home or we come back to the U.S. a little bit more frequently than we would otherwise to see those families. Mm-hmm. Tell us more about Eric. What kind of balance has he found? What has he found fulfilling or challenging? Mm-hmm. Do you want to speak to that as a medical spouse? No? <laughs> yeah, I would, there's a lot of times in which I think like... Uh, being married to Rachel means that, like, you know, my work can just totally be terrible sometimes. And I'll just think, like, you know, if all I'm doing here is enabling Rachel to come here and go three days a week and do the awesome work that she does, then <laughs> I feel really good about kind of the, all the stuff that I get to do. Um, just enabled to... So, like, I 
I love the work that she does, and I love being able to uh, enable her to do that and all the contributions that she can do. Um, I would say when we were, yeah, when the kids were younger, there was more of this, um, we were both kind of working part-time in order to make sure that our kids could also be taken care of. Um, and as the kids have grown, actually, and I, I think this kind of thing happens a lot, like as the kids have grown, we thought we'd go back to more clinical work. And what happened, because this is what happens in careers, is you end up getting handed a lot of like other responsibilities for leading this and that and taking on this administrative piece and this project and whatever else. And so now I would say the reality is, is that we're both working effectively full-time at one thing or another, but we're only in the hospital three days a week. And so as our kids have been more independent, then we do a lot of work from home on different days of the week, and our, our docket has kind of creeped up with kind of other stuff. And that's the truth for both of us. So. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Thanks, everyone. It's 3.30, so we'll uh, let you go off to your next session. But if you have any other questions, I'll just stay up here if you want to chat. Thanks.